Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good evening, patrons of Hopcat. Thank you for joining us for a live taping of the Pistons Pulse, hosted by Bryce Simon and Omari Sankofa II. Wes, go ahead and take us live. Gentlemen, take us away. Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Hey, this worked out good for you, man. I got to read mine off the computer, so this works better where you got this little short one, you didn't mess it up, you were all good. I glanced over it so I didn't forget my name. I've never done this in front of people, so I have to make And there's no editing on this one, so you got to keep it straight the whole way through. Robin said no editing. We got to be clean and clear the whole way through, so I'm glad you you had it on the intro. I was going to say a lot of stuff I shouldn't be saying, so I'm glad you said that. I thought they were going to edit it out. Um, and of course, we're always blessed to be joined by Wes Davenport. Uh, it's actually the second time I've got to meet him in person of all the things we've been through. So um, that's the coolest thing about all of this. On Jeanette, I got to meet her in the first for in person for the first time. Robin. Um, in person for the first time. And then, of course, thank Hopcat for having us and everything the Detroit Free Press did to set this up. Everybody that's here, we'll start taking your questions whenever you guys are ready. Just find Wes, and he'll bring you up to the mic. You'll get on the screen. Ask us whatever you want. This is your chance. This is Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer, who ignores you on Twitter <laughs> when you ask a question that he doesn't like. Right, Vince? Vince, you know how this was. You used to do this as well. So this is your chance. Oh, no, 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 my bad. <laughs> I was going to say, Vince did not ignore people. Oh, Vince okay. interacted with everybody. I actually changed that because I get overwhelmed by all the, the, the anger, really. I guess I was just call, calling anger. At this point in the year, it's just like, you know what? We have a few games left. It's time to, it's time to, to dial it back, right? It's time to dial it back. Let's, let's all get along. People. So if you have a question, this is your time because Omari cannot dodge you. If you're watching with us on YouTube, put it in the comments. If you're watching on Twitter or you just tweet at me, we'll, uh, we'll get to your questions. But we're going to start, Omari, with the last weeks of games, especially go back to that Thunder game, another close heartbreaking loss to the Thunder. Another tip-in finish. My guy Sean Corp is not feeling very good about that one. Um, what was your takeaways from that Thunder game and just all these close losses that our Pistons have had this, this year, Amari? It's tough. I mean, the team has 16 wins, but you know, not that you can really butter up a 16-win team, but I think that there are a few games that were essentially coin flip finishes that they were just on the wrong end on. You play a, a Thunder team. I mean, they have Jalen Williams. He's been fantastic. And for the most part, OKC had a, a, a mostly healthy roster. Of course, the Pistons are only, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of a ragtag group right now with guys that they just want to get looks at going into the offseason. I thought it was one of the Pistons' best performances in, in the last couple of months, honestly. They shot extremely well from three. They moved the ball really well. Uh, they just didn't get the, the W in that column. But I really did think that from start to finish, that was one of their cleaner performances. I don't know what it is about the, the box outs at the end of the games and the tip-ins. It's like the third game they've had this season where somebody didn't box out. And I think in general, a lot of the losses this season could just be blamed on poor communication, which I think is just one thing that comes with more reps and more experience, but definitely a tough loss. I mean, they were right there until the end. Uh, they hit a lot of clutch threes. Uh, I thought that fourth quarter uh, was one of the most competitive fourth quarters they've played uh, really since after the All-Star break, and they just couldn't get that one into the win column. 
Yeah, man, there's been a lot of really tough. It's been a long season, right? It's, uh, it's crazy. We got four games left when we're recording this. Two here, Tuesday and Wednesday. That's why I'm in town. We're going to check out those home games. My wife wanted to come see Jimmy Butler in person. So <laughs> really uh, picked really smart with that one. And then two on the road, and the season's over already. And it's, it's been a season of up and downs. We're going to talk some silver linings a little bit later. I do want to ask you this, though, because one of the big storylines that came out of that, at least on Pistons Twitter, was Eugene Amarui and the interaction after the game with his former Thunder teammates and you know Pistons Twitter has been a little uh, heated about just about everything recently but that I'm curious to know what you thought about that you know I, I played at a high level not that level and I never had opponents that I really liked teammates that I like or excuse me um, opposing teams that I liked a lot of my teammates um, but I never played in the NBA. There's a whole new dynamic in the NBA where you're switching teammates all the time. You're switching teams. So did you find that a little bit weird when Eugene did that? Or were you kind of like, oh, it, you know, it is what it is? You, it's not every day you see somebody take a photo with the opposing team after you lose in the style that you, you did. So I understand why that caught people off guard. I think for a guy like Eugene Omarui, who, you know, he, like, he signed two 10 days and he signed for the rest of the season and he's basically fighting for a spot in the NBA. And he had spent so much time with those OKC guys, young team like the Pistons, still obviously pretty close to them. Um, I saw one of the reporters uh, in Oklahoma uh, kind of wrote after that, I guess he still had clothes or like bags or something at Jalen Williams' house. So there's still like a lot of uh, closeness there with that group. And he's greeting them after the game. And I don't know if he knew a photo was going to take place or not, but somebody comes with a, with a camera and OKC is, you know, all the teammates are like, come take the photo. And, I don't know if he went into that scenario expecting that he would wind up on Twitter taking photos with every team. So I think you could probably give him some grace there. I think it's a unique case with a, a unique guy who's come in and really endeared himself to Pistons fans and clearly the OKC fans as well, the way people talk about him on Twitter. And I mean, at the end of the day, I think everybody's moved on. Uh, you know, I think probably people on Twitter were a little bit more angry about it than the Pistons <laughs> were. And yeah, I mean, of course, like an awkward situation, but not something that probably lasted beyond that night as far as the actual drama behind it. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just a weird situation. It was such a close loss, I think, is what made it tough, right? And then I think Eugene seems surprised because all of a sudden the Thunder fan, the players are running over and, you know, dapping him up, giving him hugs, and then the picture just kind of happened, and he was right in the middle. And um, I, I didn't think it was a huge deal, but it definitely – it just was different. Like you said, it's not something you see every day. But like people said, we see people take losses, and then they're exchanging jerseys after the game. So it's not like it's uncommon for guys to interact after the game. You know, you talk about the reaction from Twitter, so I, I gotta bring this up. We just watched an incredible, I know we're talking Pistons on this podcast, but we watched an incredible women's national championship game, and Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, the two stars of that, and that blew up today because of kind of the interactions within the game, post-game, all that. What, what were your thoughts on that? I don't know if you got a chance to, to catch the game. I, were you in Orlando yesterday? No, I cut the trip short because I knew we were going to be doing this. So Sacrifices, I, the trip, I love it. You know, I didn't know if we were going to do this tonight. Didn't know if you were going to do it yesterday. So I just, I just cut the trip short. So I wasn't in Orlando. I was home. So you got. So did you watch the game then? I watched both of it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, did you? What, what were your thoughts on that? Because I mean, it it literally took over Twitter today. Like, if you're a basketball fan and that's what you have on your timeline, it's talking about, which is great for women's basketball. It's an incredible game and incredible players. But it's like if you don't know Angel, you know Caitlin Clark, had, you know done some, you know, rings and you can't see me. And then Angel Reese gave it back to her at the end of the game. So uh, what were your thoughts on that? Because it sure turned into a big topic of conversation this week. It's just drama. Week. And like, was she being a jerk? Yes. You know, <laughs> but I think that's part of sports. Like people are going to be jerks. Like Pat Bev does all sorts of stuff. And people are just like, but that's Bev. He's a, a, a jerk. And we accept that if we give him that autonomy to do that. And I think a lot of times with, uh, women and you know I think especially like black women they don't always get that same grace when it comes down to it like I think Keith Overman like just said all this awful stuff about her and then he was like I actually don't even watch basketball so I was talking out of turn it's like well, you don't have to like you attack this woman on Twitter and you have this big following and it's just because she was taunting a player like you know like was she being a jerk yes but there's like just a different level of discomfort you see when certain people do it and it's like if you just want to call her a jerk that's fine but once you start going above and beyond and talking about classness like i can't believe this like my year is literally ruined and it's just all this other stuff it just kind of goes above and beyond but the game was you know i thought the game was fantastic like i had never really seen the to all locked into um 
just to see like the women's basketball championship kind of hit that next yes. level as far as interest. I saw today that it got almost 10 million viewers, which is Love great. It. Uh, kind of just broke through the mainstream. And I think that's great to see. Like I've covered women's basketball. Like I've, I like basketball in general. And like it's a, a great sport. People are talking about, oh, they don't dunk this and that. It's like, well, there's a lot more to basketball than dunking, right? Like Steph Curry doesn't dunk. Like a lot of those you know, players can shoot and they do all these other things. So I thought it was just great to kind of see that moment, and then to top it off with that type of drama, I thought really was just the cherry on top, because drama's great. Like, we don't want to yep. see, like, I don't know why there's always a crowd of sports fans who's like, I want to see guys, like, hug each other after the game. Like, it's fun when players hate each other. Like, that makes it a lot more fun. I mean, we're in Detroit, like, the bad boys, everybody hated the bad boys, so that's not, people like that, that drama, and I think that that's something that's going to help the game. No, I agree. Like, I, I'm all about it. You, you brought up Pat Bev. He was doing the too little to the Lakers a week yeah, ago. He and did then, too little to the Bronx. <laughs> like, and on. then Austin Reeves did it back to him. And so yeah. I, I, I love all that stuff. I mean, whenever I was, I feel like I'm a nice guy. I don't know. People may disagree. But whenever I was on the court, I was a jerk. My wife is here uh, with us. And you talk about someone that was not a nice person whenever she played basketball. That was her. <laughs> she was a completely different person. So if you guys get a chance to meet her, this is not who she was whenever she was playing hoops. But that, you're right. That's what we love, right? Yeah. Like, that's what we want to see from Detroit. We want to see, you know, the two little and the popping the jersey and dunking on someone and pointing and, you know, tapping the top of their head and all that. Like, it's, it's what makes sports great. And so it was frustrating to see all of a sudden that became the storyline from that game. Let's get back to the Pistons, though, and let's just talk about some silver linings of the season. Um, and again, if you guys want a, have a question, you have a comment, whatever, find Wes walking around. He'll bring you up to the mic. You'll get on screen on YouTube. Ask away, and, and we'll discuss it with you. But what are some of the silver linings, Omari, as we start to finish out this season? Four games to go. Obviously, you know, the Pistons have been way out of it. Uh, the, the lottery gods hopefully will take care of them. We can talk about Wimby later if we want. I know we just got a question on Twitter about that. What, what, what's your first silver lining of this season for the Detroit Pistons? I think the big and obvious one is just the play of the rookies, Jaden Ivey and, and, and Jalen Duren, those were the guys that drove the most hype coming into the season, along with Cade Cunningham, obviously. And I just, I, I would say that they've, at the very least, met expectations, and then Duren's situation has exceeded them. Um, you look at, you know, I think just for them to basically be in a rotation from day one, and Ivey, of course, fifth overall pick, you expect that. Uh, for Jalen Duren to exceed all expectations, and he comes into the season, you have Nernest Doe ahead of him, Marvin Bagley. Isaiah Stewart, you come into a position of death. I don't mean to. I forgot Nerlens Noel was on this team at yeah, one well, point in the season. <laughs> he didn't. Yeah, he didn't play a whole lot. We didn't. We didn't see him a lot. But he was still, you know, a guy coming in. He's a, a, a veteran, and you don't fully know the situation coming in, right? Like I think coming in, I had a hunch that we wouldn't see a lot of Nerlens, but you still don't really know how that's going to affect uh, during in his minutes, and for him to come in uh, pretty much day one, and he's played really well. He's been impressive. I think everything he's showed at Memphis has translated. Then you start to see a little bit more. We saw some of the passing in college. I think he's gotten better as a passer. He just reacts really quickly and just sees stuff that's more like a guard than a center. He had like a little short turnaround jumper the other night that we haven't nice. seen that. He's just showing little flashes of stuff. And from being the youngest player in the NBA uh, to do what he's doing now, I mean, he's younger than a lot of the guys in this draft class. Like, he's basically, like, Brandon Miller's a 20-year-old. The Thompson <laughs> twins are both. They're already 20. Yeah, like, you know, these guys are technically freshmen, but they're 20 years old. Jalen Duren turned 19 in November. So he's already an effective NBA pro, you know, despite his, his, his youth. And I'm going to talk about Ivy, too, but I guess we just make this one the, yeah, the, yeah. the Duren one. He's exceeded all expectation. And, and I would say him and Ivy, but especially Duren, have probably been the biggest price class. Yeah, I mean, I was the idiot that was saying Jalen Duren was going to play in the G League this season because he was the youngest player in the NBA, and I thought he was raw. And, you know, I, I was super high on Jalen Duren's upside and what he was going to be as a player. I, I saw the passing when he was at Memphis. You could see the flashes. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's, if there's one thing with both of these rookies, and we can transition to Ivy in a second, but it was their passing is better than I think what people talked about coming into the league. You know, we've talked about that at length with Jaden Ivy. You know, I think what it is with Pistons fans right now is the Jalen Duren. I saw it again today. I think it was our guy, uh, Detroit Kool-Aid, had sent out a tweet about, I think, Wiseman starting and, you know, the Pistons trying to figure out what they have. Maybe it could be a trade, you know, whatever. Like, I think the overall point was, and we talked about this last week, was I think they know what they have in Jalen Duren, at least right now, right? 
let's figure out what James Wiseman is because we don't know. He's played literally less minutes than Jalen Duran in his career. And so are you still at the point where it doesn't bother you that Jalen Duran isn't starting, that he's only been playing 20 minutes here to round out the season? Like to me, that, that it's not a big deal to me. I, I guess more of the question, Omari, is do you think Jalen Duran is the starter next season, right now? Like where things are at right now, I know things can change in the off season. Do you think Jalen Duran is who Troy Weaver and the Pistons think will be the starting center for the Detroit Pistons opening night next season? I think they see him as a starting center eventually. I think next season, a lot of what Dick says, the rotation is where guys are defensively. Uh, we know what, where Isaiah Stewart is. If James Wiseman is a better defender than Jalen Duran, and I think that would be a compelling argument in favor of Wiseman getting that other starting spot. And Wiseman and Duran are you know, different enough to where it's kind of hard to you know, compare and you can't play three bigs, so there will be some, some tough decisions to make. I think long-term, Duran probably is your starting center. Next season, if they're really serious about turning the page, they will probably put their best five on the floor to start the season off. And that may or may not be Duran. It you know, comes down to how players develop defensively. He probably has the best, I would say he probably has the best rim protection instincts and tools. If you combine instincts and tools, he probably has the best combination on the roster, and I think that goes in his favor. But he is still young, and I'm just curious to see what they prioritize next season. Do you continue to let Duran develop and get those reps, or if another guy's ahead, do you just say, hey, let's just put our best five on the floor, we're going to prioritize defense, and we're going to try to win? All right, we finally got a question. Wes wrangled somebody up here. It's my guy, Sean. I got, I got to give Sean a shout out because this is a chance in person. This is the first time we've met in person. Sean is the one that gave me my first start over at DBB. I was rolling along with Motor City Hoops. I was throwing out random videos on Twitter and he hit me up like, hey, I want you to do some work. And all of that turned into what we're doing now. So I, I owe Sean a lot. I appreciate him very much for everything he's done for me and to get me up here now, you know, backed by the free press and doing this with Omari. So Sean, what do you got for us, my guy? I got a question you can't avoid <laughs> live right here. Uh, I'm wondering, how many Pistons on the roster yes. today will be on the roster at the start of next season? I'm glad, I'm glad I pulled the roster up. Just here, Omari, because I know you don't have it up. Yeah, so, like, there's like guys that turn it all the way. I still got to be able to uh, see okay. it. Come on, man. Yeah, there's, there's guys I haven't played in like six months, so I don't know. I got to you know, be reminded of who Okay, let's, let's just go. Boyan, yes or no? Yes. Marvin Bagley the third. Ooh, Wait, say, what? That's a long hesitation. I'm gonna say See, that. Omari knows stuff that we don't know. And even, know even as his co-host, even, I tell you guys this, even as his co-host, he never tells me. But now we got him live and in person, all you guys here, everybody on YouTube, and he's stalling on this one. He knows something. Marvin Bagley III. I don't know anything. I'm going to say, I'm going to say no, and I'm going to explain why. Wow. Later. I'm going to say no for now. Make sure we come back to that. All right. Cade Cunningham? Yes. Alec Burks. Yes. Really? Yeah, I think he comes back. That quick? I think he comes back, yeah. I can't wait till we come back and round out this moment back with the third conversation. All okay, right. uh, James Wiseman. Yes. Jay Nivey. Yes. Killian Hayes. I heard a yes. no in the crowd. Yes. Who said no? Yes. The, the real Omari Sankofa <laughs> answered that one very wow. quickly and with, with a no. Wow. Um, Omari's dad is here in the audience. He's the man. Yes, Hopefully he he'll ask us a real... Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Right. Hopefully he'll come up and give us a question here in a little bit. Oh, the, the original, original. Oh. I love it. Um, all right. Where were we at? Killing Hayes. Yes, I'm going to say yes. Hamadou. I'm restricted free agents are tough, man. I'm going to say... I'm going to say yes, but we can also come back to that one. Corey Joseph. No. What? He's been balling, man. I'm restricted free agent. Like, we are the Corey Joseph Love podcast. I know. And we're going to kick him to another team this offseason? The man asked a question. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm answering the questions. I'm answering the questions. Jalen Dern. Yes. Isaiah Stewart. Yes. Rodney Magruder. My guy, Rodney. I'm going to say no, but I wouldn't be surprised. I, also, I wouldn't be surprised if Rodney and Corey Joseph are back, but I think there's no... No, you can't hedge. You already said no. All Isaiah right, Livers. Good. All right. Yes. RJ Hampton. No. Eugene. I'm going to go no. So that's 10 to answer your question, right. Sean. 10. So we would have the, hopefully the number one overall pick. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> a second round pick. Yeah. And that would give us three free agents. So I, th I think that's a good number. All right. Yeah. I think that's. A, I'm not gonna do it. You already did it, and we, we don't need. We don't have time to go back through it. So, um, right. okay, we're gonna come back. Oh no, we're gonna we're remit. Don't let me forget Marvin Bagley. I'm gonna type it into my notes. But right. Mr. Omari Sankofa has a question for us. Yes. Yeah, so, if they get the number one pick, is Victor. So that's it. If they get two or three. Is it better to have a starting lineup with Scoot, Cade, and Ivy, or take out Scoot and put in the uh, the kid from Alabama? Um, Miller. Miller. Yeah. Man, I'm kind of regretting that we asked your dad to come up and ask. <laughs> uh, okay. You take best player available. You take best player. That's not available. what he asked. That's what he asked. He, that's not what he, he said. Who do you, you That's not what he said. What did he Listen say? to what did your he say? dad. What did he say? What did he say? All right, Mr. Sankofa, right. I apologize for Amari's behavior. He said, what is the better lineup? Okay. Scoot, Ivy, and Cade, or Cade, Ivy, and Brandon Miller? That's a best player available that's question. That's not the yes, question. It that, that, it's a best player available question. Okay. Um, I think from a fit standpoint, like it's no. Brandon Miller. I would say maybe just from a rod, we need to get the best players on the floor. That's Vince Hayes. That's Vince boasts his Bama shirt. If it's just best, if it's just best five on the floor, it's Scoot because I think Scoot, other than Victor, is the highest upside guy. Um, Kate Cunningham is six six, Ivy six four, Scoot six two. Just from a one through three standpoint, it works from a there's one ball on the floor standpoint. I don't know if it works, and that's something that they would have to figure out as time goes. But I'm going to go Scoot just because just watching him play, the stuff he's able to do, and like once you put him to the NBA with real spacing and like you know real big men around him, like I could see him, like I, he's not exactly like Ja, but I think he could have like a Ja-like impact where you can just let him cook and you're going to be in good shape. So I would go Scoot. Like that's not the best fit lineup, but it's the most talented lineup. And especially if Cade and Ivy continue to develop as shooters, and I know you know Cade's been working on his shot even with the injury, and Ivy shot the ball a lot better, so that's probably realistic. It could probably work. So I'm going to go Scoot, but fit-wise, Brandon Miller. Yeah, I mean, I think next year the Cade, Ivy, Miller, if you want to win games to start the season next year, I think that's the lineup because I think the Scoot, Ivy, Cade lineup is going to take some time to figure out. I think it has a higher overall upside just because I believe in those three players more. I obviously think Scoot has a higher ceiling than Brandon Miller. But if you just want to win games next year, you know, as much as I gave, uh, you know, Raz Domari there a little bit, like the fit just makes so much more sense. Brandon Miller can come in and he can just be a bucket and let Cade and Ivy create for him. He, here's my argument for the Scoot one, though, Omari, is... Don't we all love Cade? And I know we've forgotten about Cade Cunningham because he hasn't played in so long, but don't we all love Cade because he's so malleable, because he can do so many different things? And so the whole idea behind Cade is, okay, he can be your primary creator and let Ivy and Miller cook. Or if Scoot is your primary creator, now Cade can be your primary bucket getter. So to me, that's what's enticing about Cade Cunningham. That's why I love him as a prospect for this team. So I still think like next year, Cade, Ivy, Miller, but long-term, I still am going to go with Scoot, Ivy, Cade in that one. We, I know we got some more questions coming up. We're going to go to a short break, and then whenever we come back, I think we got Amari's boy coming up with a question to start segment two. All right. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're going to lead off segment two, and we are going to start with a question from my dear friend who came out to support tonight, Robert Thomas. Rob, go ahead. I'm putting the pressure on y'all tonight. What is the ceiling for the Pistons next season? I need to know. I need to know. Ceiling for the Pistons do, next do, season? Am I buying tickets or am I staying at home? <laughs> I, I need to know. 
I would buy tickets. I would buy tickets. I would say with Kay Cunningham coming back uh, at this point to guarantee the top five pick, um, you know, just with Ivy, Duran being better, uh, Boyan, Alec Burks, I think there's a really good chance those guys come back. So you're going to have a really solid core of players. And then you couple that with the cap space they're going to have this offseason, which will allow them to be a player in free agency or in the trade market. You've got some uh, contracts in the middle that you can include in deals. And I do think that they're going to go into next season with the mindset of we need to take a step forward. Um, this season was supposed to be a step forward season. It wasn't that, obviously, with Kay getting hurt. And also, I mean, you talked about it on the pod. Probably the ceiling for this team this year was play in, uh, just simply because you just look at the rest of the NBA. I mean, the Mavericks have Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, and they're about to miss the playoffs. And it's, you know, I think, and I, I think that's a tough point to get across that the NBA is as talented as it's ever been. But every team except five has at least one all-star on the roster. And when you get to the top of the NBA, the, uh, the, the Bucks, the Sixers, those types of teams, Nuggets, it's just a whole different level of talent. So the Pistons have a lot of ground to make up. But you take all the core guys from this roster, you add that cap space, you add another top five pick. I do think that next year is probably a much more realistic playing season than this year was. And at this point, the play-in race means you're flirting with 500. So they're going to need some help from the teams in front of them more than likely. But I think next year they should have all the ingredients they need to kind of put this current um, like bottom of the NBA era behind them and start to get a little bit closer to it being a respectable, we can compete every night and give these teams a run from their money uh, type of squad. Yeah, I agree, Amar. I think it, I know this is dodging the question a little. I think it depends on where that draft pick lands, right? I mean, if you yeah. get Victor, even if, even if the Pistons get Victor, though, which is what we all want, I, I get it, but I still think we have to temper expectations a little bit. Like, this team still is going to win less than 20 games. Now, that's without Cade, so you're adding Cade and Victor, but I just have this feeling that they're going to get the number one pick, even though Amari thinks they're going to fall to five, uh, <laughs> but they're going to get the number one pick, they're going to add Victor, and then everybody's like, oh, they're going to be a top four team in the East, and it's like, nah, this team is still really, really young. And so I, I also think where that pick lands kind of determines where some of the, the roster decisions go as well. I know we'll round back to Marvin Bagley III. We got some questions coming in just a second. But I think that might de decide, it, you know, is Marvin Bagley III on the roster next year, depending on if you get Victor Wimanyama or not. I think if they get screwed again, you can get excited about it. Even Brandon Miller, you fall after that. I like Amin Thompson. I like Cam Whitmore. But I don't think they're changing the trajectory of this team next season. I also think that I don't know what Troy Weaver's going to do with the cap space. And I think there's an argument to be had. You go spend it. Um, we've had Keith Smith on the podcast, if you guys know him, from Twitter and the, the front office show. And he talks about, like, you could just sign somebody to a ridiculous one-year contract. You know, bring him in for one year, just make sure he comes in and really help this team win. But if it's not ready to win, maybe you still stay with the young guys. So I'm to answer your question, I think back into the play-in is a possibility depending on the offseason and kind of where Troy Weaver wants to go. So I know, Wes, we got another, another question from the audience, so I'm excited for this one. What's up, fellas? Chubbs here. How y'all yes, doing? Yes, I thought it was you, man. <laughs> great to see you. All right, good to see y'all, too. I uh, got a quick question. Pecking order. Say we do get Victor next year. We already got Bogey. Ooh. We got K. And I see Ivy likes to get the ball out. <laughs> so, like, what would you think the pecking order look like? You think somebody get moves to the bench, say, like Ivy, since he do like to have the ball a lot and can score, you know, all that energy? So, let me no, know. That, that's a great question, Chubbs, man. Chubbs, he's been interacting with him on Twitter for a minute now, so I'm glad you were able to make it, man. I'm glad to see you. Um, I would say, Omari, I think one nice thing about Victor is I don't know that he has to be the guy offensively. So I don't know that that changes the pecking order a ton. I don't know what you think. I think it would be interesting to figure that out between, I think Cade and Ivy are going to have to figure that out anyway, right? Like that's one thing that's kind of been a downer about this season. We never got to see that backcourt duo and the dynamic of those two. So I think it become, I think it's Cade's offense still. I think what makes Victor special is what he's going to bring defensively, even though he can score the ball offensively. So I, I would say Cade, Victor, Ivy. And I still think you can start all three of those dudes, but maybe you give Ivy some run with like the second unit, stagger some minutes and let him do his thing. I pretty much agree. I would say I think Victor coming in next season will, like obviously they will run plays for him. He'll be a factor. He'll be one of the lead guys. I think one thing about the pecking order is that I think Cade will still be like the heart, soul leader of the team. I think as far as just who are you trusting at crunch time, that'll still be Cade. 
And I think Victor's game, one, is hard to project because we've never seen a guy like him before. So you can kind of watch what he's doing over in France, but you, you still got to get to the NBA and there's still like a lot of things that we just won't know till we see him because he's like 7'5 and built like a monster from Space Jam. And it's just, I don't know exactly how this is going to translate to the NBA. Like I'm sure it'll translate well, but I don't know if he's going to be a guy that you're necessarily going to have like ISO or if he's going to have the ball in his hands like that. I think defensively he gives you a lot. Uh, he's going to be able to hit some threes. He's going to be able to do some stuff that we've never seen. You know, I still think just from a seniority, just we know what K could do standpoint, he's probably number one. Now, Victor coming to immediately be like that elite number two. And everything I keep in mind is that a lot of times for bigs, it takes them a little bit longer to kind of figure things out. Like you kind of look at Cleveland, like, like at Evan Mobley, like he's one of their top guys, but you still have Darius Garland, you still have Donovan Mitchell. Uh, you're not necessarily uh, looking at Evan Mobley as like the, like he's our crunch time guy. Like he's the guy that's going to be like our lead scorer. And he could get there. Like, a, you know, he was one of my favorite guys in that draft. So, you know, but there's like a little bit of a longer learning curve. So Vic could get there eventually. I think next season he probably kind of falls in where he can fit in uh, as he adjusts to the game. Uh, I think a lot of his impact will probably be on defense just because, you know, I think he's got really good bear upside on, on defense. And then offensively, he'll be able to do a lot. Uh, I would still probably lean toward Cade and, and, and Ivy probably taking – the most shots on next year's team, and then Bogey would be in that mix as well. Uh, we have another one, Wes. Yeah. While while we're bringing him up, I was, did you see Wimby miss his three and then go? <laughs> did you, yeah. And then he, he had to put back dunk on off his own missed three pointer. So. Hey, yeah. What's up, fellas? What's Hopefully, up? Hey, what's the top on? three pick? Uh, adding that to the lineup, and maybe a Cade, Ivy, maybe Duran, depending on how they play, with the effect that. CP had on Phoenix and Bobby Portis had in Milwaukee, even mm -hmm. Pat Bev in Minnesota. Yeah. Do you think we have that with Bogey and Burks coming back next season, or do you think Troy need to address the another veteran that's in a rotation with free agency next year? Nah, that's a that's a good question because right, we saw we saw Bogey and Burks kind of be the dudes, yeah. right? And I don't think that's why they were brought in. So to your point. You know, you have those guys in here now with Cade, who's supposed to be the man in the face of the franchise, and now they can just supplement that. You know, Bogey, instead of being the number one option, to your question, Chubbs, now Bogey's number four, right? Yeah. After Jaden, uh, Cade, and Wimby, or if it's Brandon Miller, whoever it is. And then Burks is, can just be a bucket off the bench, you know? Yeah. And, you know, maybe some other good players. They have, a you know, the top pick in the second round, which I think is another really interesting pick and something we'll dive into as we get into more NBA draft talk uh you know throughout the next couple months so i think that's a really i think he has the vets i guess to answer your question i feel like those two guys are there now there's a ton of cap space to bring in another one right if if he feels like there's someone that fits that role better maybe another bucket off the bench something like that a stretch big off the bench i think he has the money to go do that and he could overpay for the key smith what key smith what i was talking about earlier not you can't overpay for one year so you the who was jj reddick with the sixers a handful they paid him one year 20 million like it's one year it doesn't matter you can push that money down to the next offseason so maybe they have an opportunity to go get somebody like that add him to the roster if they really really want to compete yeah i mean they're really big fans of bogey and burks just not even their games which is what they brought to the team and in the locker room and uh, one thing about you know this team is that and especially with troy is he you know he has guys that he 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 likes and you know he's true to his word when he says that these guys are part of this core you know the pistons did not trade these guys at the trade deadline and you know there's some thought oh well, maybe they're buffing bluffing just trying to drive the price up but i'm not saying they're untradeable if the right trade comes along of course but they really are part of this group and really they're luxuries for this type of team to have a guy in bogdanovic who is one of the most efficient scorers in the nba uh, and then Burks is one of the best bench scorers. Uh, you know, I think just with this team, uh, they probably didn't shine as much as they could have just because the Pistons weren't playing a lot of high-stakes basketball. But especially next season, if they do take a step forward, I think we'll see them occupy that role a lot more. And they will give some of the, prob the problem solving that, you know, uh, Milwaukee might get from a guy like a Bobby Portis who can just come in and step up if he needs to, just fill a lot of gaps. Uh, like a Pat Bev, any of those veterans, any of those guys who can just come in and really kind of give you that extra boost, either just from an on-court standpoint or a culture standpoint, that's your need. They can still go and get somebody else and, you know, they have money to spend. They're going to bring somebody in or maybe multiple people in. But they do have a lot of that on the roster now, and I would say that Bogey and Burks do fill that, that, that void. I want to know, I want to go back to the Marvin Bagley the third. Okay. Why, why I'm really interested, what, what's going to happen with Marvin Bagley? Because he's under contract, right? So we talked about, you know, unrestricted free agents. It's hard to know. Bagley's on the books for 12.5 next year, 12.5 the year after. So I assume you think 
hey, they got Wiseman. Now they feel like, hey, we can move on from Marvin Bagley III. I, I feel like Marvin Bagley III's played well, man. I don't know. So it's, it has, it's really not anything about Bagley. It's just more so the situation that they're in. So you have, for one, the Pistons don't have a lot of contracts that are in the middle, right? You have a lot of guys who are on rookie deals. And then you have, like, you have Alec Burks, who I think there's a good chance he comes back. Like, a deal could come along and maybe it makes sense. But he has that team option, right? And then you have... Boyan Bogdanovic, who they extended, and I believe would also like to bring back next season. So it's just you look at their guys on the roster, who is on a good deal, uh, a, a, a tradable contract, and also is in a position where if they could part ways with this person, that production is replicated elsewhere, right? You know, whereas Burks, Bogdanovic, if they're the same players they were this year, it's going to be hard to get that type of production back for what they're making. Bagley, he's been really good. I would say, like, despite the injuries, that he has been injured a good bit, but he's been really good for them. I think he's really um, embraced his role really well. He scored the ball efficiently. Like, he's played good basketball, and I don't think they're going into the offseason with the mindset we have to trade Marvin Bagley. I think it's just more of the fact that he plays a position of strength and he's on a good contract. And if you get Wimby or if you use free agency to sign a big wing who could play power forward, or there's just all these things that could force tougher decisions down the road. And if you're looking at all their bigs, you know, Bagley's the one guy that they didn't draft, right? He's the guy that they signed, and he would probably end up being the odd man out in that scenario. But I don't think it has anything to do with Bagley. I don't think the front office is like, we have to get off Bagley at all costs this offseason. It's just because of his contract, and he's played pretty well, I say he lived up to it, and just he plays a persistence of strength on the roster, I think he would probably be more likely to be a, a guy who's on the odd end of that. What do you think his best position is? It's the four or the five. What do you think? I think all these guys are probably most natural at the five at okay. this point, just because those of them really shoot the three that well. And I'll say Isaiah Stewart's probably the best sh- shooter of that group. But right now, Duran, Bagley, and Wiseman are probably more natural fives than they are fours. But Bagley has played pretty well at the four just because he can shoot a little bit and handle the ball. But I think probably in a perfect world, he probably is more of a five than a four. Okay, we're going to come back to that, but we got a question, so we'll... Hey, what's up, guys? Love hey, the pod. Thank you. Um, hey, thank you. So, obviously, everyone's focused on the first-round pick, but... This isn't a normal second-round pick. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to be low 30s. Any kind of sleepers you guys are kind of looking at? Maybe a, a big-time wing defender or, you know, sniper from the outside that we might be able to pick up? Or what would you like to see them do with that second-round pick? I would like to do, see them do exactly what you just said. And I'll tell you, this draft is really weird in, like, the 25 to 45, 20 to 40 range. And you just don't know where guys are going to go. So I just wrote an article this week about City Sissoko, a G League Ignite guy. He's going to be really good defensively, but, you know, struggle offensively when he first comes into the league. But that would fit what you're talking about on the defensive side of the ball. Julian Phillips is a kid out of Tennessee. If you look him up, the offensive numbers aren't going to impress you a lot, but he can really guard. And if you go back to his AAU film, that was pretty good on the offensive end as well. So I do think that there's some good, you know, even tonight in the national championship, game. Hopefully everybody will stay around, watch that with us. Um, But uh, Andre Jackson for Connecticut, again, not a guy that really shoots it, but he passes well and he defends and he's uber, uber athletic. And then I I would love to add some shooting as well. I don't think he's going to make it this far, but in this game tonight, Jordan Hawkins is my favorite player in the draft. I think he's more likely to go in the lottery than he is at the top of the second round. But I do think that there's some guys, I just, I wonder where guys are going to end up falling. Even someone like Dariq Whitehead out of Duke, like, is he going to end up going mid first? Is he going to crawl all the way back in the lottery? Or is he going to fall because he didn't quite have the season that people thought he was going to have? So I, I know Amari has a couple names as well, so I don't want to steal any of those. But, yeah, I, I, think, I think that is a draft pick where the Pistons can add somebody, like, real, you know, there in the second round that can be maybe part of the rotation or just fill a need, either one of those that you brought up. Yeah, so we're a draft because once you get outside, really the top, you know, six or seven, and even that might be a little generous. It kind of becomes wide open, and you have a lot of different opinions on a lot of these guys. Uh, one player I like who might slip to the second round, but it's really tough to say who will go in the second round and who will not, because I think this is a draft where the combine will dictate a lot of where these guys end up going. I like Kobe Jones out of Xavier. He's just all around really solid, well-rounded, good defender. Like he's six fives, passed it really well all three of his seasons. High character dude. Uh, maybe his shooting is a little bit of a question mark because he wasn't that great of a shooter his first two years, and that ticked up a little bit this past season. But college numbers are so wonky that it's kind of tough to say which guys can shoot and which can't sometimes if they only have one good season of being able to knock shots down. Uh, that's a guy I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Uh, I'm 
Bryce, he does a lot more deep draft stuff than me when it comes to like the actual kind of late round guys. So I have no problem at all letting you kind of take that question over. But that's one guy like at this draft a lot that I think will probably end up playing wherever he goes. Well, let me ask you about this. Um, and then we have another question. But Kobe Bufkin is the guy. Yeah. I like Kobe Bufkin. And I've had Michigan people like come at me on Twitter whenever I said Bufkin was going to go in the draft and be a first round pick. And they're like, no, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, this kid is a hooper, man. And he is young. Yeah. We talk about age, right? And I know people don't always like that. But Bufkin is a young sophomore. And he can really play. He exploded. You know, Jet Howard went down with the injury to end the season. And he was really hooped. So him and then Terquavion Smith out of NC State. Yeah. So if you're just looking for like guys that can be get buckets not necessarily like true shooters um they could fit in somewhere depending on what happens with killian alec burks and all of that so those are a couple more names but we got another question here what's up guys what's hey, up what's um, i'm mike i'm miko on twitter you might recognize it. mkzzn um i just want to say welcome first off welcome to detroit to thank you bryce and ronnie and yeah. um yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're gonna have to talk about his Cody dog experience. Yeah, yeah, that's how, that's that. how I found yeah. you guys. I saw you guys having Cody dogs. I'm like, hey, they're in town. <laughs> um, so, all right. So this kind of dovetails on what you guys are talking about a little bit. So we saw Victor and Scoot in the exhibition game. Yeah. And uh, you know, all right, we saw Scoot play in the Rising Stars game, and he didn't really get too much time. He looked okay, but like, I mean, that's kind of a weird game, also. So we don't know that much exactly. Like you don't really know till they're in the league how they're gonna look once they're in the NBA, right? Sure. So despite all the you know the very clear tiering of like Wemby one, Scoot two, you know Miller whatever, what's a reasonable floor and ceiling for Wemby and Scoot first year, regardless of their, like. Are they, is Wemby scoring 28 a game out of the gate? Is he scoring 16 a game out of the gate because his game doesn't translate in exactly the way, like, what do you guys think the, the tiering is in terms of, like, what they could actually end up being on the high end and the low end? I think Scoot, I think it's easier to answer that for okay. Scoot than for Wemby. And good question, by the way. Yeah. Simply because there, we haven't really seen a lot of guys like Wemby. So I can say his floor is like a guy like a like a, a Miles Turner, but he's going to be able to do stuff that Miles Turner can't do just because, you know, Miles Turner doesn't, is, he's, you know, he's not 7'5", right? So it's going to, it's, there's no perfect comparison. I would say for Scoot, his, his ceiling, you know, is probably, probably about what we saw from John Morant his rookie year, where he averaged about 17 and, you know, five or six, you know, still figuring the game out, but immediately impact player, a nightly highlight reel, and you see immediately that it's, but he's a guy that's going to be a problem for a long time. Uh, like I see, I see similarities between Jai and Scoot. I don't think he's like an acrobat like Jai is, but I think just as far as how quick he is, how he sees the floor, he might be a tad better shooter than, than Jai is. There's a lot of similarities there. So I'll say that's probably his ceiling. And then his floor would probably be a guy like a Jalen Suggs, where he is able to make an impact in some areas. Uh, Suggs maybe a little bit more defensive than what we'll see from Scoot, but the game's just moving too fast, and I know Suggs was a guy that people were really high on going into that 2021 draft, and he was seen as a high-floor guy, and it hasn't really been the case. It's been a little bit of a longer uh, period for him to kind of acclimate himself. So to me, that is the opposite end of that. So ceiling, I see rookie year Ja, like clear rookie of the year, like immediate impact day one. Floor is Jalen Suggs, where you see those flashes, but you're probably not, the consistency isn't quite there, and it's gonna be a longer period before he gets to that point. Yeah, I'd say with Victor, the ceiling is, you know, all the offensive stuff comes together and all of a sudden he's competing for the number one option on the team. Like, I, I just don't know what to think with this guy, right? And as much draft evaluation as I do, I don't, it, the overseas stuff is hard. And even the G League night stuff is really hard, let alone OTE stuff with the Thompson twins. That's about impossible to, to, to really evaluate. But I mean, he's 7'5 with real ball skills. I, I think when you talk to people, it's like Chet Holmgren, what people thought about Chet, but it's 7'5 and, you know, again, better with, with the handle. I think truly Victor's gonna be a difference maker on the defensive end right from the start. I, I truly believe that. I think what maybe the disappointment might come from not being as big an impact offensively as what maybe people would want for a generational prospect. For Scoot, Amari hit on it with the ceiling if it all comes together. There is a floor. I mean, there's people that question his ability to finish around the basket. And I saw people questioning the other day about, you know, how well he operates pick and rolls. I, I don't agree with that. 
Um, and then the three-point shot. He's really good in the mid-range, but the three-pointer hasn't, it has improved, but it hasn't got to maybe where you want. So there could be real growing pains with Scoot as well. And I just want to emphasize, like, neither one of us, I don't know if Amari agrees with me. I think Victor is a generational prospect. I do not think Scoot Henderson is a generational prospect. I think he's a really good prospect. Yeah. And I do have him above Brandon Miller, but I wouldn't say generational for Scoot like I would Victor. Yeah, I think for me, generational, and people use it in different ways. Like some people say generational for any guy is probably has like a, an all-star ceiling. I would say Victor is generational because if he hits his ceiling and he is Rudy Gobert with, with a, a handle and a jump shot, then you essentially break the NBA. Like there's just nothing you can do about that. And I do have question marks with Scoot, I'm sorry, with Victor, uh, as far as how effective he will be as a ball handler, just because I just wonder if you could just put a smaller defender on him and just rip the ball from him, right? Like he's, you know, the ball's coming up so high, you just wonder. Uh, it'll be curious to see how he adapts. But I would agree with that. If it clicks for Victor, he's top five in impact every single year. And I think for a 6'2 point guard to be generational, he's probably just going to have to be on a completely different level. And you're always going to be limited in some ways just because, I mean, you know, it's a game that favors saw people. You know, I think we see just the playoffs every year. Uh, teams led by smaller guards tend to have lower ceilings. Like, you know, Steph's the exception to that, but he's Steph Curry. It's, you know, it's just really tough to win in today's NBA um, with that type of attack. So, I would, I, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I, th I think Vic's the only generational guy in this round. All right, we're going to go to a short break, and then when we come back, we got another question. We'll keep these rolling, and we'll talk a little bit about my food choices so far in Detroit. I, you may even pin me down with American vs. Lafayette Coney oh, Dogs. Yeah. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with segment three, and we're going to lead off with another question from another one of my dear friends, Michael Lloyd. Mike, up, let's do it. What's up, Omari? What's going on, man? Looking good. I like Thank your you. ring. Yeah. Um, you. All right. <laughs> uh, what do you think um, Detroit's like uh, upper office needs to do to like uh, keep and maintain those uh, those star players to bring them in? What do you think we need to do to get us up to that next level where we get the LeBrons, the Stephs? Like, what do you think as an office and administration needs to do? It's tough because there's really only two teams in the NBA that attract those type of guys in free agency, and that's Miami and L.A. And, uh, you know, especially Miami, I mean, I think they have a very competent front office, but a lot of it just has to do with the fact that they're Miami and L.A., and if you're not one of those cities, it's really hard. You know, Phoenix is a, a big market, you know, warm weather. They don't have that type of pool. Uh, New York, they haven't had that type of pool. So for the Pistons, I think their approach has essentially been we have to do this through the draft. So they've built through the draft these last few years. They got a number one pick in Kay Cunningham, who a lot of people feel can be all-star level, if not all-NBA level. Uh, they got Jaden Ivey last summer, who is, you know, he was a little bit more of maybe down the road he could get to that point. He was probably one of the highest upside guys in that draft. He has the talent to do it. And then I've never top five pick in this draft. So they could either do it through the draft or through trade. And, you know, of course, this summer they'll have cap space. They'll be able to absorb a bigger contract if they need to. And, like, that's how they got Blake Griffin, right? Like, they just kind of stacked and stacked and stacked for years, got the right contracts, and then when the guy became available, they went all in. Uh, the Pistons could go that route if they want to because they have the cap space. And you have some contracts in the middle, maybe some young guys that you can include in any signing trades if you wanted to. But uh, for the Pistons, it's going to be more than likely through the draft or through a trade, and they need some of these draft picks to really hit and become some of the best players at their position to turn this around. Yeah, and I will say, just to nerd out a little bit, the new CBA that's coming, it's actually really good for that strategy. Mm -hmm. So it'll be good. You can lock in your rookies when they're coming off their rookie deals to five-year deals now instead of four. You can sign more than two of them to max extensions. So if Detroit really thinks, like, if Cade hits, if Ivy hits, they draft Wimby, you used to not be able to keep three of those guys on max contract extension. You can only sign them to four-year extensions. Now you can do five-year and as many of them as you want. So there really is a path to them building truly through the draft. 
um, especially if they get lucky in the lottery again this season. I think Amari hit it though. And I think this is why if you listen to people outside of Detroit talk about where the Pistons rebuild is at, you'll hear them talk about having negative draft assets right now. And that's where a lot of people question the rebuild is they actually owe a draft pick in the future to the New York Knicks where these other teams have, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder have all of these extra picks. The Jazz just, you know, compiled all of these picks and Detroit doesn't. So, you know, either they have to find a way to get some of those picks or they're just going to have to package these good young players to get that superstar. Uh, My opinion would be you just, you hope you hit on the draft again this year and you just keep rolling with that. Uh, Wes, we got another question? Oh, yes. The real Omari Sankofa stepped in the mic. I'm real too. Come on, we we, we can't say. I thought real. you were real. Say original. We're gonna say original. We're gonna say original. You had your original. braids, man. You, I was super sad about that. I'm having them tomorrow. I'm getting them back tomorrow. We'll be good. We'll it's because I'm bald, and so I get jealous. Of... So you're living vicariously through me. Exactly. Okay. All right. I'll do my part. I'm sorry. So I'm buying Bagley trade because of Olenek and Plumley. That is history. Yeah. The question I have though is. What, where do you project the personality of this team to go? I'm from the bad boys era and the going to work crew. What personality does this current team project? You know, that's a good question because I think a lot of those, I guess what those teams are known for, a lot of that's kind of built through the playoffs, right? And until the Pistons really begin to play meaningful basketball, it's kind of hard to develop an identity. You know, I do I think they have players who fit that that mode, you know, where you have the bad boys who are, you know, basically just kind of known for being bullies on the court and the going to work era where they were known for their and the bad boys too, known for their teamwork, known for just how well they gelled together. And I look at Isaiah Stewart and I think he really fits Detroit and how he approaches the game. Just really genuine dude. And we've talked about this before, but I think when the Pistons do get to the point to where they're in the playoffs, Isaiah Stewart's value is going to go way up, not only because of just how versatile he is on defense, and especially if he hits threes, is going to be hard to take him off the floor when teams tend to go small in the playoffs. But I think just, you know, his fire and uh, just his personality will really shine in, in those high-stakes moments. You know, I look at Cade, I look at, you know, Jalen Duran. I think they kind of have shades of like a Chauncey Billups and like a – uh, ben Wallace, like a Rasheed Wallace. Uh, so you kind of see, you know, shades of those old teams in that squad. I don't know if I see the bad boys in these guys. I just think generationally you're probably not going to see that type of squad come back together. Like, that's just a different era. Um, you know, players get along probably a lot better than they did back then. So it's just, you know, I think some things have to go south for, you know, the Pistons to embrace that type of identity. But I could definitely see going to work. You know, I think Troy talks a lot about just drafting the right people, getting the right people in the building. And there's a lot of good, genuine dudes in that locker room. Like, I really do think they could have, like, that going-to-work camaraderie. And I think Cade can really evoke a lot of what people saw with Chauncey Billups, just the way he hit shots, just his leadership, all that. So probably I could see this team being, like, a going-to-work part, too, if it all breaks right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, going-to-work as well. I think they're going to be kind of just this quiet, you know, like, go about their business, Detroit versus everybody. Like, Cade kind of has that personality. He's got this swag, but he's he's got a quiet presence. You know, Isaiah is probably the most, like – outspoken but it's even just in like a tough sort of way you know so I I love kind of what they're building there and and to those guys I I was watching the game I don't know why it just hit me but it's like man there's you know how do you expect this team to win you know talent one thing but there's no there's no leaders there's no heart and soul out on the floor right now and I truly think Cade and Isaiah are the heart and soul of this team I've said that about Isaiah you know once Cade went out that you know maybe he's not the most talented I know some fans don't love him you know maybe he even doesn't end up being the starting four man for this team but I just think Stewart has this heart and soul of this team and you can just see the energy he brings I love the story about how he called Jaden Ivey's high school teammate or college teammate like hey how do I connect with this kid you know like what how do I coach him and and get after him so you can see that kind of leadership from such a young guy so I would agree the the going to work team as well I think we have another question here hey there guys welcome to Detroit I don't have any Cartier glasses to give you but I hope that your experience in the 313 is good thank you I just had a quick question um, I wanted to know, have your feelings changed or stayed the same since the, like, Wiseman Sadiq trade? Like, do you Ooh. think it was worth it? I have my thoughts and theories on it. Because I always feel like people leave Detroit and kind of thrive, but I guess it can be like a 
double-sided. So I just want to know, have those feelings changed? Was it was worth it? And also, I'm not the leader of the Killian Hive. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I wish him the best, but either send him to the cruise or somewhere else. Like, yeah. what are your thoughts on Killian? I, I love yeah. that. Man, you, you, she, she has said... Okay. Yep. Yes. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I my feelings is is the same. Like I don't think that we should have traded for him. Mm. I guess because I just haven't been impressed. But I don't want to say that like Sadiq is thriving. But I'm like it seems like you know he although the Hawks isn't really you know they're not having the most competitive year. It seems like he's doing good. Like you know his skin is glowing. Like it looks good <laughs> on the other side. So. I just, you know, wanted to see you guys' opinion on that, it. That's great questions. Uh, I was actually texting Omari before we, we got to Hopcat about James Wiseman and, and where we stood. I'll be When the trade happened, I think we both, and I don't mean to speak for Omari, but I think we thought it was, you know, we were cool with it, right? And we saw some upside with James Wiseman and all that. I will say this. I haven't been disappointed in James Wiseman, and I want to see a full year of James Wiseman. But I haven't seen some of the stuff I was hoping to see if that makes sense like now again it's young it's not very many minutes it's not very many games but I was hoping to see some you know he takes use of this free it looks like he just wants to go play in the post all the time and post up and I, I thought we were going to see this more skilled fluid athlete I will say this with Sadiq and no shade at Sadiq I love Sadiq by all accounts he's incredible I feel like he went to Atlanta and started playing the way we all wanted him to play in Detroit right like everybody's like stop shooting sidestep threes stop trying to attack the basket just shoot threes and it's like what 55% of his shot attempts are three-pointers with Atlanta. So I feel like he went there, and maybe because the pecking order is predetermined, mm -hmm. to your point earlier, like when the pecking order is predetermined, it's like you just do what you're supposed to do, Sadiq. Where in Detroit, it was like, I'm better than all these other dudes. I'm going to go do my thing. So um, I, I think it ends up being good for Sadiq, and I, I think the jury's still out on Wiseman. Yeah, I think the Pistons probably – and this is just true for teams in general who are in, in, in rebuilds. They tend to ask players to probably do too much. And Sadiq is in a spot in Atlanta where all he has to do is shoot. He doesn't think about anything else except shooting the ball. He's playing off of Trey Young. He's playing off DeJounte Murray, uh, John Collins, all these like, really talented dudes who can generate good shots for him. And he's shooting the ball really well. I haven't checked his numbers in a couple of weeks. I know when he played the Pistons a couple of weeks ago, he was shooting the lights out of the ball. Like he was... Shoot, they're probably the best he shot in all career, or his whole career. And you probably look at it and you're like, oh, well, this is like Chris Middleton, or this is Spencer Dinwiddie, like all the guys who traded in the past and ended up being bad deals. Uh, it's another version of that. I think if James Wiseman hits his ceiling, he will impact the games in a way that just a 6'7 wing would never be able to, uh, especially a guy whose best skill is his catch and shooting. And I will say Sadiq is probably the more effective player of the two right now just because he does shoot it so well and he has a very defined role. And Wiseman's also in that boat where, you know, again, like the Pistons, you know, they're winding the season down. They have a lot of guys out who make Wiseman's life easier. And they're not playing. And, uh, you know, Wiseman's being asked to do a lot. Like he's getting extended run for the first time really since he's gotten into the NBA. And he's doing a lot. You know, I think this time next year could look a lot better. And I think the trade still makes sense from Detroit's standpoint because they need players who can change the franchise around. And I think Sadiq's a really good player, but unless he becomes like a Chris Middleton type, which the jury's still out, uh, it's, he's probably gonna be more like a guy with the Pistons feel like they could go back and get in free agency. And I think that's a lot of the thinking that went into that trade. So TBD, but I still think that baseline logic makes sense. And we got to move on quickly, but we'll address Killian as well. I think he's improved a lot this season. I think offensively there's still a lot of strides he has to make as far as just that day-to-day -day consistency. If he can still just become a really good catch and shooter, that'll go a long way for him. If we see him do it in spurts but not consistently over the course of the entire season. But Killian does a lot, and I think that he's still a guy that could be part of the program and a guy that you know, can contribute toward winning. But maybe the ceiling isn't quite as high as you thought it might have been when he first came in. Yeah, I'm going to leave Killian alone because that's like a whole segment and we don't have time. So we, we might put Killian in for a segment on next week's episode, but great question. All right, we got Sean back up. All right. Earlier you said maybe three free agents. Now let's work in a hypothetical where they draft Scoot at number two. You can say new player, if that's what applies. Who are the three best defenders on next year's Pistons team? The three best wait, wait, who did they draft? Scoot. Scoot. And they had three free agents. 
with all the players you said were going to stick around, mm -hmm. who are the three best defenders on next year's Pistons team? I will say both of the Isaiahs, Isaiah Stewart and Isaiah Livers. And then I feel like, I mean, those are the, two of the best guys this season, so that's easy. I think the third guy should be a player who's not currently there yet, so I got to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. I'll say Kay Cunningham. I'm I'll seeing, say Kay Cunningham. I'm seeing Bryce struggle a little bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say Isaiah Stewart, the second-round pick, and um, I'm going to say a free agent. I'm kind of down on Isaiah Livers. Really? Okay. Why am I so down? It's Wes's fault. <laughs> He's been a little up. I mean, he's been a little up and down. You know, I think he probably hasn't played the same level of comfort we saw during his rookie season. Is that good enough defense, Sean, for them to win games next year? Not to be next year's OKC. I was gonna say, right? Like we, yeah. it's got to be more than that. There's, there's got to be a lot of improvement from those bigs. Yeah. So, okay. all right, real, real quick, Kyle Metz, big fan of the show. Um, he wasn't able to do it on YouTube, but he sent it to me on Twitter. So I'm, I'm gonna change your question just a little bit, Kyle. I know you're still watching. Would you trade Cade and Wimby for Luca? Why are you thinking so long? Can we get a small raise your hand yeah, if I you would, would raise yeah. your hand if you would trade Cade and Wimby for Luca Doncic? A shirt a, a shirt thing is Whoa, always Kirk, what are you doing? <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. A shirt thing is always better than you Attention. have to say it now that your boss just said it. No, I don't know. No, Kirk, no, I don't know. Do <laughs> I, I, I don't think I would do that. Chubbs, you out? All right, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Oh, we got, one, we got one more question here, and then we're going to talk to a little bit of food, and then we got to get to the national championship game. Yeah. Sorry you can't get away from the Killian stuff. <laughs> I'm one of the presidents of the Killian Hayes fans club. So. All right. For both of y'all, I need a reason why he's here next year and a reason why he's going next year. Okay. All right. The reason why Killian Hayes is here next year, uh, well, one, he's going to be eligible for an extension this offseason as he signed one TBD. But I think from an organizational standpoint, you know, assuming that the roster can accommodate it, there's little harm in giving him one more year before he becomes a restricted free agent. Uh, like he's a, uh, at this point, you kind of know what he can give you. And if that jump shooting can come along, and he has made strides in that area this season. Then I think he really is a guard that will fit in a lot of systems. And I'll say a reason why he's not is because you get the number two pick and you draft Scoot, and it's just like there's so many cooks in the kitchen. I would say the reason he's back, he's under contract, right? I think you might as well exhaust that for at mm -hmm. least half of next season. I would bring, and because I think hopefully next year he can play in the role that I believe, and, and I'm not a you know, Killian you know, hater or lover necessarily, but I think he can be a good second unit point guard. So I think you bring him back next year and hopefully he gets to play you know, right from the start of the season in that role as the second unit point guard. So I think that's why you bring him back because he is good defensively and he's shown some growth offensively, especially when he's confident. I think you turn it, he's not on the roster next year if he doesn't want to be on the roster. Like I, I think there's a real world where Killian can go to Troy Weaver and be like, hey, I, 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 would, I think I'm ready to go somewhere else. I think it'd be better for me to, to try a new environment. And, and I don't know that the Pistons may not think that at a certain point, right? And that, and that could be true for a lot of players. We've seen it with players that came to Detroit. So I think that would be why he's gone at least to start this season. Or if he's part of a big trade, right? Like if you add him in to some bigger move. But I, I think he's on the roster to start next season. All right, yeah. we do have one more. Yeah, one more, and then we got to awesome. winding down a little bit. Yeah, guys, so I have paid zero attention to the upcoming draft and okay. that class, like, and who would be on. So I've never heard of this Victor guy, okay. which blew my mind. You guys are talking about him because I Googled him when you, like, I was like, what, this is a, supposed to be a LeBron James-level talent? Yeah. Is that true? Like, who yes. is this guy? So, so, guys so Victor Wimanyama is a seven-foot-five wing guard out of France um, that like legit whenever we say he plays on the perimeter offensively that's what he does he shoots threes he crosses people over he goes between his legs like I like your expression you were like what <laughs> <laughs> you were like wow he sounds really good let me ask you did you did you watch any of Chet Holmgren last year with Gonzaga are you none no okay all right um so that, imagine if so you're familiar with Rudy Gobert, right? Defensive player of the year, like all time great yeah, defender. Yeah, that's, yeah. Imagine if Rudy Gobert were like 50 percent of Kevin Durant on offense. And that's what Victor is basically right now. There's real convert like pe people will truly compare Victor to Kevin Durant. He's a no brainer. Number one. No yes. brainer. No matter like, who you are. This, this yeah. is like 
outside of the LeBron draft, this, yeah, truly generational. That's what we're talking about. That, yeah. That's what is at stake coming up in the next month for the Detroit Pistons and the yeah. NBA draft lottery. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. All right. We're going to get into food real quick. And actually, my mom texted me a question. Yes. She couldn't make it out tonight. But yes. she said, ask Bryce, Uh-oh. has he tried or will he try Euro while he's in Detroit? I, I, where are we going to lunch tomorrow? That's a good question. We could go get a Euro tomorrow. Rainy? El jo- yeah, yeah, El George is you threw good. it out. That's a Detroit spot. Yeah, there you go. There hey, you I, go. I, I, I'm, I am here, we are here to try out and experience Detroit to its fullest. So I, I'm, I'm cool going wherever. We went down and did the Coney Dogs today. I was so confused. Why do they have them right next to each other? We walked by one. We went to go to Lafayette. I walked by it. I Wait, hold on. I got to cut you off. So Bryce, he, he like the first thing he tweets when he gets to Detroit is like, just had my first Coney Island hot dog. I didn't correct him. I said, it's just a Coney. What do I say? It's just a Coney. It's just a Coney dog. It doesn't it, doesn't Coney it say dog. Coney Island? Yeah, but it's just the hot dog is just called a Coney. Robin a Coney is Island so disappointed. Look at Robin Coney. right now. He's so disappointed in Robin me. looks like he just watched his team lose <laughs> in the final four. He did the whole... Um, so just have to correct you on that. Why didn't you Two, correct me? Like I... Could have deleted it. And well, I didn't think about it. I don't like Coney's that much, so I've just kind of, you know, I was like, all right, like you did the, the Coney thing. I'll also say, you went to American first, and like people are really tribal about that. That's like go to Lafayette. Yeah. So that was like I didn't think it was a big deal, but everybody's dumb. They shamed like, us into Lafayette. having. They shamed us into having two lunches today. We Not went. only do those hot dogs taste exactly the same, both Coney dogs taste the same. <laughs> I don't care if you go to National. I don't care if you go to Kirby. Wherever you go, they all taste the same. They all taste the same. <laughs> they all taste the same. How can you? They are chili dogs. How are they not the same? They're the same. They taste. They taste the same. They look very, very. Similar. I feel like the buns are more different than actual chili. Now I would say Lafayette has like they steam them like they're really good. The chili you know what the difference was at Lafayette? They had the old school cash register, and yeah. Randy and I just thought that was really cool that that thing from the '30s still yeah. worked, and so. Um, that was the tiebreaker. So we are hashtag Team Lafayette, Coney, No Island Dogs. All right, you won the PR battle. There you go. You won the PR battle. All right, we got to shut things down here. Um, I will pass this across to you because I know you can't do the outro without the notes. No, I can't. There's too many names. All right, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for our first live show. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, and I will be able to point people out as I thank them uh, for the first time ever. So thanks to our... Audio producer Robin Chan, uh, the gentleman here with the mask on, um, people who make the show go on. Our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado. Where's Anjanette? All the way in the back there. And our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford, uh, the gentleman here, right there. Uh, I can't say I ever imagined we would be doing something like this when Bryce DM'd me like a year and a half ago, like we should do a podcast. Uh, a lot of fun. Like, glad we got most of these seats filled because I was definitely looking at the room like, this is a, this is a lot of room to fill. But we I, did it. We I, did was, it. I was nervous, bro. Like, I, I barely <laughs> ate supper tonight before. And yeah. I was, I don't think. <laughs> thank you to everybody that came. Hopcat, the marketing team, everybody at Free Press. Thank you to all of you guys. And yeah, I, I, 20 months ago, Amari and I met for the first time in person. 18 months ago, I sent him a DM like, hey, let's do a podcast together. And uh, now we're doing one in front of a crowd live. Uh, it's pretty incredible. So thank you that everybody supports. Great questions. Like you yeah. guys are part of this too. Thank, thank you. you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.